Our reading for this morning is from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear to his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Thanks, Ellie. Do you want to come up? I'd love to pray for you and for your work in BCSA before you get going. Yeah, yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Elliot and Sarah and their children here with us today. Bless them as a family, Heavenly Father. Thank you for their calling and their ministry and different ways to serve you and your people. Lord, we thank you for the work of BCSA. We want to pray for them, for Melinda and the team and Elliot and others. Lord, thank you for the way they serve the church and Bless the church in so many ways. Strengthen them, encourage them, and give them all that they need to serve you. Thank you for their work among us. And bless Elliot as he brings the word in the name of Jesus. Thank you for him, God. Amen. 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 Thanks, Nick. Good morning, Yonvada fam. It's nice to see you all today. Thanks for having us up. Just a switch. So hopefully we're on. Not yet. Try again. Hey, there we go. Good morning, Mount Barker fam. Thanks for having Sarah and I and the kids up here today. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, Sarah, it's really good to see you. Sarah was part of our 2019 ministry internship uh, program out of the office, um, and we've, we've had over 50 interns come through that program since Sarah came through. Uh, it's fantastic. A uh, little, little moment for me to spruik it. If you are keen to come along and be part of an excellent year of uh, growing in your discipleship and leadership, chat to Sarah, 
and she'll tell you how good it was. Sarah, I've got some bad news for you, though. It's gotten better since you came through. So, uh, it's a privilege as well for uh, me to serve in the team at Baptist Churches. I've been full-time with the team now for just over a year, and my role is leadership and mission, mission facilitator. So one of the ways I get to explain my role is I imagine potential in emerging leaders and imagine potential in communities, in churches. Uh, and it's such, such a joy to journey with young leaders, uh, leaders of all ages actually, uh, and church communities, to, to listen and notice and, and to pay attention to what God is already doing around us and in and through us, and courageously and creatively follow him there. Uh, and it's just a privilege to serve in that way. Uh, you guys are... Um, actually, I just want to mention too, Barbara, thanks for leading us around communion. Uh, we have over 70 churches across SA who this morning are gathering together, another 12 in the NT, and Baptist churches are going through an amalgamation process at the moment as well as we talk to the Baptist Union of NT about joining with their 12 churches, uh, half of them Aboriginal church communities and, and half of them non-Aboriginal communities. And so we're on a journey of merger and, and amalgamation as well. And in a couple of weeks' time, uh, we'll, a couple of us from the team will be up there to meet some of the people on the, on the lands and uh, see what we can do to serve them well into the future. So we're, we're really excited about that. I've been thinking lots about transitions uh, lately. A few weeks ago, I got to uh, be in New Zealand with the family, uh, partly work, mostly holiday and catching up with relatives. It's where I'm from. Am I allowed to keep preaching? Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, so it was just a, it was a privilege to be able to take the fam there and show them some of the places that I grew up, uh, the school I went to, and they all got to catch a Lake Rotorua rainbow trout, which was an important part of my childhood um, growing up. Uh, but it reminded me of all the different transitions that I've been through. I've lived in three countries, multiple states in Australia, a few cities, moved houses and schools a bunch of times. Uh, also been through a really significant transition moving out of Richmond, where I was a senior pastor for 10 and a half years, and it's good to see some old Richmond fam friends over here. Uh, so good to see you guys. Um, and that was a really significant transition for our family um, as well in this season. And you guys are going through a transition, some change. You're in the midst of exploring what that looks like. Uh, and, and there's lots of churches and people in the season that we live in at the moment who are feeling the same way, actually. There's been a lot of change in a short amount of time these last few years. And we'll get into that a minute, uh, in a minute. But this morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite Stories. One of the reasons I love this story is because of the relatability of Peter. Because he makes mistakes, uh, but then he's restored. He, he steps up, but he doesn't always get it right. He's full of courage to boldly step into what Jesus and, and then the Holy Spirit invites him to do. And, and I kind of hope that I lead a bit like that. You know, courageously, creatively following Jesus, stepping into what he invites us into and, and, and being okay with saying sorry when I mess up and when we don't quite get things right and knowing that Jesus is with us all the way through that. But I also love this story because it's an invitation for the church today to in, engage our kingdom imaginations and to step with creative courage into a new future. And I think you guys are getting a glimpses of, of what God might be inviting you into, into the future. So we'll see what this passage has to say to us today. So far in Acts, the people of God have had an amazing encounter with the risen Jesus. Can you imagine that? What a moment. What a little season of life to live through. They've had an astounding experience of the Spirit of God. I still can't quite get my head around what was going on for them, how they even coped with that and understood it and, and figured out what was going on. And then we continue to read the adventurous story of the early church finding its feet through the book of Acts. And King Jesus is, continues to do something new. Now by his Holy Spirit, he's opening the door to a strange new world, a future that they couldn't yet see. And the story continues. 
straining under the obsessive love of God as he rolls out his reconciliation and renewal project. It starts quite small, actually, in an upper room, hidden away, like a whisper. The inbreaking kingdom of God begins to increase, and this tiny gathering of God change agents grows and moves, and the storytellers spread out, and the tendrils of the new creation wind their way into new neighborhoods and cities and eventually end up in Mount Barker. And the people of God had an imagination of what it looked like to gather and worship and pray and love their neighbors and evangelize and teach and build rhythms and practices as as a church family as they figured out for their time and place what all those things might look like. And the apostles, Jewish men, had formed and practiced their church gatherings out of their family and cultural and generational and particular locational experiences. They created a Christianity and a church practice that looked and smelled like an ancient Near East Mediterranean Jewish Christianity. And they tried to figure out what King Jesus had invited them to be in their time and place. And then they were interrupted. And we see that divine disruption in the story of Peter. In the, in the story of Acts, God has already wonderfully and powerfully appeared to his followers in person and then in his spirit. And the spirit is emboldened this small but growing group to preach publicly, to live distinctly, to love generously and to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. And this has attracted dramatic attention. The early church has been growing rapidly and has started to suffer under the rule of Roman and religious rulers who want to suppress this small but impressive movement. And Peter's on the road, traveling to share the story of Jesus firsthand with the growing scattering of believers across the region. And while praying and getting hungry, waiting for his lunch, Peter's road trip is interrupted. A divine disruption in the form of a dream. But before we jump right in, I want us to go back a little in the story as we read it in Acts chapter 10. Because the story is repeated twice in the book of Acts. Just the day before, a Roman centurion called Cornelius has been hearing from God. A non-Jew, a powerful Roman, a ruler of men, an owner of slaves, rich and powerful. Cornelius has been moving towards the God of Israel and has been watching his people closely. We're told that he's been, he has given generously to the social needs of the day and he's prayed regularly. This is a man seeking after God. And God has been hearing from him. God knew him by name and sees an opportunity to give him the gifts that he's designated for all of us. And so Cornelius hears from God, God at work, and God speaks to him in a vision and invites him to send word to Peter who is staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa, a very specific message. God is always at work. That is not the new thing here, but it is here that God reveals the wonderful width of his work, sometimes outside of our expectations and and often in ways that we cannot imagine. And so one of my questions out of this story is where does our imagination need to be reminded of the surprising generosity of the gospel to all people? God invites this powerful, self-sufficient man to find the disciple. 
And both Cornelius and Peter will be faced with an urgent question. Will they recognize the confrontation of the old and the new? And the unraveling of the fabric of social hierarchies and prejudices that clothe them and certainly clothe us? Are we able to face a similar question? Where in the way I interact and live and engage with my neighbours is a willingness to allow the confronting story of Jesus and his way to overturn the social and cultural and perhaps even church-formed norms in my life? Are there people who I, I am unwilling to engage because of deep subconscious formation or even choices I'm making to avoid or ignore a person or people groups? Peter was confronted with these questions. And I think, think so are we. And then in verse 9 of chapter 10, we find ourselves at noon the next day, back on the rooftop. Peter's there and he's praying and he is hungry. And God comes into two of his deepest needs, a spiritual and a physical hunger. And God moves into Peter's deepest longings. God speaks. And the revolution descends on a sheet. The four corners cover the earth and everything in it. And it's filled with animals from every location, every tribe, every place. It contained animals, clean and unclean, appropriate and inappropriate, appealing and repulsive, desired and despised. We're invited to, in this image, to imagine a collection of animals representing regions and tribes and people from everywhere. All the special delicacies from all around the world, all the symbols and emblems of every culture from everywhere. But this isn't just a, a change of diet that Peter is being invited into. This isn't just about food. These foods represent the people and cultures that eat these foods. And a voice from heaven says, kill and eat. And Peter is taken aback. He is almost certainly repulsed, maybe even physically ill at the thought of eating some of these, these foods. A lifetime of family, cultural, theological formation has meant these animals are off limits. They are not just bad taste to him as a Jewish person but are completely off limits. To eat would be a choice of disobedience. And Peter says, I, I can't do that. These animals are impure. Then the voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And Peter resists the divine command. But this is not disobedience. Just as he has many times before, Peter is wrestling with the Holy Spirit as he is drawn into the uncharted new world of the way of Jesus. Like many experiences of Peter's life story, this happens three times. The sheet disappears. The voice quiets and Peter is left on the roof trying to make sense of the vision. The voice, the invitation. What has he just heard? What has he just experienced? What was he being asked 
to do. Then the messages from Cornelius come. And in verses 19 and 20, the Spirit of God clarifies the invitation, saying to Peter, I have sent these men, don't be afraid, to go with them. And he is invited to enter into this uncharted new world in the face of reality. Not disembodied vision and thought, but real people standing on his doorstep into the world in which he steps. He is challenged to live out this new world imagination in real time with real people. Where is this true for us? We've developed all sorts of definitions that work in the confines of our private lives, perhaps even in the privacy of the church behind these walls. But what about in the world outside these walls? With the people on your street, in your neighborhood, in real time, with real people. Peter goes to Cornelius' house and, and there Peter sees fully what God was inviting him and the rest of the church into. A whole new imagination of who is invited in to the family of God. And not just invited in to watch closely, as Cornelius had been doing, and pray from a distance, but to be fully immersed in the wonderful experience of knowing God in the Spirit. Cornelius and his household and, and the large gathering of people that were there are all filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in the name of King Jesus. And in a moment... The lives of Cornelius and his people are changed. And so is the old order. Who is your Cornelius? Who do you think about when you hear and read and enter this story? My prayer is that many people in this neighborhood would have an experience like Cornelius. To hear the voice of God to seek Jesus, to have a person of faith come into their home or workplace, to share with them the life-changing good news of Jesus, to share with them your own encounter with Jesus. I pray for more unexpected conversions like Cornelius. I pray for more people like Peter to hear the invitation of the voice of God to go towards their neighbor, their colleague, even the unexpected person in their world, in your world. Apart from being an amazing story of conversion and baptism and new people joining the family of God, and that, that's pretty amazing, and we celebrate that, of course. This is an astounding story of God stretching the boundaries of faith and inclusion far beyond the people of God's imagination. God was already at work in the, in the lives of Cornelius and the people around him well before Peter and the believers got there. God's voice was already being heard by Cornelius well before Peter and his missionary team arrived at their door. I think this is true to say in any season, but it's been especially true to say in these last few years, it feels to me. It might not always seem this way, but God is always at work. God is always at work. And God is always surprising me, surprising his church, surprising us with the boundaries of who we might think is invited into the body of Christ. Is there someone outside of that boundary for you? 
that you would be very surprised to see them enter in to the kingdom of God. God is always at work in that family member, in that colleague, in that neighbor. This story is a deep encouragement in a day when it feels like seeing new people meet Jesus' difficult work, maybe even impossible work. It can feel that way. But God is always at work. This story is also a deep challenge to me and, and I think to our churches as we, like God's people in the Old Testament and like God's people here in the early church, underestimate the boundaries of grace and compassion and love that God extends far beyond where we might think he is at work. And not just where God is at work, but where we are invited to join him in that work. Who have you yet to imagine could become part of the family of God? Where can we pray that we might yet be surprised beyond our expectations about who God might yet invite into the kingdom of, of God, of, of his family? Who can I move towards as God moves towards them? All questions, challenging questions that come out of this story. But it's not only Cornelius whose life has been flipped upside down in this story. His whole world has changed. He's had a wonderful, powerful experience of the Spirit of God. He's entered a new world, a new life, a new hope. All the way through this story, the cultural codes and social rules and tight theology that normally apply are being suspended in this encounter. And no one knows what will happen next. Peter has shared space and food and, and drink with Cornelius and in, in that sharing of hospitality has entered the previously unimaginable intimacy with the Gentile outsider. And the confronting reality for the early church was that this was not just Peter wandering out of bounds and needing some kind of reprimand and then reconciliation back into the family of God. God is simply, beautifully, interrupting the conventional and normal structures and is rewriting a new story. And the church doesn't know what to do. Its first reaction is defensive, not like us. As Peter heads back to Jerusalem and back to the leaders of the early church, we find that they are challenged by this story. Peter, what were you doing going into his house? You can't do that. And we see in chapter 11 that by now the word is spread across the regions. All the churches are talking about this. I think that's why this story is in here twice. We're meant to hear it twice. Once to invite us into the extended boundaries of the kingdom of God. And the next to reckon with what might need to happen in us. As Peter and the church does here in chapter 11. Because we find that Peter and the early church believers, some of them called the circumcised party. Can you imagine that at the next election? <laughs> They're being stretched way out of their comfort zones. Their missional imagination is being reoriented beyond anything that they were expecting. And Peter goes from verse 3 to verse 15 in chapter 11 to retell the story to these circumcised, righteous believers those who thought they had figured it out. 
And then Peter begins to describe his own reorientation. He says, Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter was realizing that Jesus was already doing a new thing when he came. Everything changed and, and nothing was the same with his experience of Jesus. Remember, just about every time Peter thought he had figured it out, he discovered he had it wrong. Peter was the best at this. Jesus was always doing a new thing. Echoing in Peter's minds, I reckon, with Jesus' words, you have heard it said, but now I say to you, and Peter realized that Jesus here was again doing a new thing, this time by his spirit. And maybe it wasn't a brand new thing, but, but maybe he and the others were just catching up to what Jesus was doing. He was including all people from all cultures into his family and gifting them with the same seal and sign of faith, the spirit of God in them. And Peter says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? If God was doing this, who am I to think that I knew better? Who was I to think that my way was the way we ought to do it? This story is not just about Cornelius meeting Jesus, although we celebrate that. Peter himself was being changed. And so was the church. On the surface, we might see Peter's experience as a call to expand the mission and his mission and to expand the church's mission, to include the unexpected outsider. And, and this is absolutely part of the story, and we're thankful for it as it calls us out of our own boundaries. The gospel of King Jesus was to go to the Gentiles, and it changed the world then, and it's changed our lives as non-Jewish outsiders too. This probably should have not been so much of a surprise for the early church. For Jesus was consistent in his surprising invitations all the way through the story of the Gospels. In his interactions, in his parables and storytelling, in his generosity of the cross, he invited more than the people of God at that point had expected. Peter's imagination, the early church's imagination of who was to be included in the kingdom of God was being dramatically Restoried. But the story's challenge goes much deeper than just that. The invitation to engage with and invite into the kingdom of God, the Gentile outsider, was not just a, a generous expansion of the mission, but a deep upheaval of the cultural, generational, and religious practice norms for those early Christians. In this story, Peter went through one of his most significant reorientations. The early church was going through one of its most significant reorientations. God was at work moving and inviting his people into a new way of being church, a new way of imagining their missional activity. Imagine with me Peter's cultural, theological, church practice, his family tradition reality. Imagine the early church, a very Jewish expression of the early church had already begun to develop flavoured with practices that flowed from the familiar rituals and rhythms of their Jewish upbringings. And then on the rooftop, for Peter, and in the middle of robust wrestling, the church itself realised it needed to change. 
for Peter, for, for the early church, this was a significant cultural, generational church practice sweeping change. It required them to let go of long-held practices that were familiar and comfortable to them in order to step into the imagination of the Spirit of God for church practice and mission moving forward. Part of the change was lifting their eyes to a world wider than they had ever imagined. In a a moment, the kingdom of God was to expand from the, the Jewish scattered diaspora to the Gentile outsider in every place to every people. This was a profound change. I'm emphasizing this because of the depth and profoundness of the change. Peter, the other apostles, the earliest Christian community, as young as it was, was being invited to completely reimagine its practices, its rhythms, its mission. Where it had already begun to form familiar patterns for gathering, it was beginning to work out its mission strategies, the Spirit of God was asking it to undergo a conspicuous and abrupt metamorphosis. A big change, a dramatic change, a change that affected every part of who it was. And how does the early church respond to this invitation? We see in verse 18, after much wrestling and resistance maybe even some defensiveness, that they celebrate together with no further objections. They say in praise, God has granted repentance that leads to a life to all people. God has again done a marvelous thing beyond our anticipations. God has again invited in more generously than we could have imagined a people we had excluded. Acts 11 is a moment of reorientation. And the Spirit is is teaching something that we cannot forget. That God is always at work. And God still speaks today to invite us into his work. The story of God's people shows us that what God has said in the past is pressed against what God is saying now. Humanity and God's people particularly are positioned between the word of God then and the word of God now. And it is in that place that we hear God extending himself in grace and invitation now. What might we hear and what might you as the family of Mount Barker hear as you travel with God's people through the story of the Old Testament? With God's people through the story of the early church and by the Spirit through the story of God's people today? What might God be inviting in you, in your imagination, here in Mount Barker? Our story as Baptists is the story of an adaptable people who courageously step into new imaginations of being kingdom people in our particular time and place. Our story is one of local collectives of Christ followers becoming local mission experts and contextualizing our mission language and practice to the culture and story of the place in which we find ourselves. And this is still true for us today. Across suburbs and regional towns, groups of Jesus followers gather to practice distinct, distinctive discipleship rhythms and ways of life that love their neighbors and their communities and invite them in. We do this publicly. And we have been in a season where I think there's a congruence, a coming together of some moments in the story of the church that invite us to consider, question, 
maybe even step into systemic, profound change in the way we've been doing things. Churches uh, in our movement are reorienting our ministry investment and, and reprioritizing neighbor as we orient our, our focus from, from ourselves, maybe, towards loving and serving our neighbor. Churches like Laura Baptist this is a great story. If you don't know where Laura is, it's where Golden North ice cream is made. That's the first important thing. Two and a half hours north, head up the road. I'll be up there next weekend with these guys. Churches like Laura Baptist, who uh, just a couple of months ago voted to sell their building. Old, small, country church voted to sell their building. You don't expect that, right? A little bit unexpected. And they have bought a cafe and community space on the main street. A bold upheaval for a church community that's reimagining itself in a rural context with all the challenges that regional towns are facing at the moment. And at first glance, we might think that it's just about the building. But something much deeper is happening for the Laura Church family. They're questioning their cultural, theological, missiological roots and, and stepping into a new way of being church in their neighborhood in this time. And they're not the only ones. There's a church in Mount Barker asking some questions about its future. What is God inviting us into? And it's not just about expanding the mission, although we celebrate that and our team prays for you and every church every week that more people might know Jesus, that more people out there might come in here and find something of the love and grace and hope of the gospel that we celebrated together with the kids this morning. Right now, we find ourselves in a time that invites us and perhaps even requires us to reimagine the way we go about being the gathered and scattered people of God. There was already some significant shifts happening in culture, in the story of all people, but especially followers of Jesus. And COVID has just accelerated and amplified some of those changes. It's been a tricky time. It's raised challenges for our systems and structure, and it's exposed more than ever, faster than ever, perhaps, the reality that our discipleship practices and our missional efforts are substantially less effective than they ever were. This invites us, maybe even compels us, to think deeply about how we practice together as church communities, but also how we do life, the rhythms and practices of our lives at home and in our workplaces. I think in this season, we've seen an opportunity, a sheep coming down revolution moment, actually. An opportunity to reimagine our expressions of living out the good story of King Jesus and his way of life. What does it look like if we respond like Peter in the early church to open our collective imagination to the reorientation that's happening across the church today? Not just here, but a question I think every church is facing. I think we are being challenged to think deeply about our historic and traditional and theological and cultural and family practice roots. We want to follow King Jesus' way of life. We want to find this life through his death and through his resurrection. And we walk forward in faith, trusting the Spirit of God will lead us as we step creatively and courageously into the future that he's inviting us into. But it's not just about what's happening out there. 
This story, I think, invites us to think deeply about what might need to change in here. What does that mean for this church? With the imagination that's in front of you in this season. What does that mean for you? And for your family? For your rhythm of life? For your family values? For the practices that this church builds into the future? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? As God's people in this time and place. Let me pray. King Jesus, I want to say thank you that you are always at work. There's been some moments in this season, in many people's lives here, where that hasn't been obvious to see. I'm just so thankful that we can know that it is always true that you are always at work. God, we're also thankful, thankful that you're always at work in the lives of those that maybe our imaginations haven't quite stretched to in our family, in our neighbourhoods, in our workplaces. God, we recommit to praying for them, to noticing where you might be at work in their hearts and lives. We long to celebrate, like Peter did with Cornelius, people that were once outside of the kingdom being now inside of the kingdom. We pray for unexpected conversions, for baptism celebrations. We pray for those that in this season seem to be just walking into the church, that we might be encouraged as your people and know that you are always at work, even where we might not have been. God, we long to celebrate with more people and a growing family because of what you are doing in people's lives. And God, I pray that this church might have an experience of every spiritual blessing, that as they wrestle with questions, questions of change, of courage, of new adventures, of letting go, of moving forward. That this church might know you, your spirit, your voice. But that you would help this church and all of our churches step with creative courage into your imagined future. God, we long to see more of you at work. We long to see your kingdom come. And I pray this prayer to the one who can do far, far more than we can ask or even imagine. To the one whose power is already at work within us. To him be the glory. In this church, in every generation, and to the ages of ages. Amen.